You are listening to audio from The Table Community Church. For more information, please visit us at thetablecc.com. Well, good morning. You guys go ahead and grab a seat. It is great to see everyone uh, this morning. For those of you that are joining us online, thanks for tuning in there as well. I know we've got some guests in the room this morning, and so if you are a guest with us, we would absolutely love uh, to connect with you. And the easiest way for us to do that is by having you text the word welcome to 817-755-1668. And we just want to be able to follow up with you this week. We're not going to do anything weird, show up at your house. I know we've got some out-of-town guests who are with us, so no, we're not going to, definitely not making the drive to your house. Um, But you'll just get an email from me tomorrow, a text later this week. To figure out if we can just be an encouragement to you. And even if you're from out of town, and if you have questions about anything that you hear today, um, or for those of you who are watching online from different places, if you have questions about anything you hear, please let us know. We want to be able to answer those questions um, for you and um, just do everything that we can to encourage your uh, faith walk. I know we've got some guests who are here, and so if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Bill, and it's my privilege to serve as the lead pastor here at the table. So I've got to tell you about something Um, that happened uh, this week on Facebook. My dad's cousin sent me a note that said, hey, I'm praying for you. And attached to that note was an article that said something along the lines of uh, the United States is soon to be declared the hottest country on earth. Didn't actually read the article, but like that scared me a little bit. So I didn't want to find out like what it actually said. So it's after weeks like this that I'm thankful for the little things in life like air conditioning, um, right? And the, the ability to gather together and like be cold for just a few seconds um, this morning. So glad you're here. I want to pray for us and, and we'll jump into the message. Heavenly Father, um, as we come before you today, we do recognize. Um, Father, a, a day like this, it can be challenging for us in church because we want to honor fathers and we want to thank them for the influence Um, that they had on us, and certainly I I feel that way. Um, But yet at the same time, Father, in the midst of this, it can be a reminder of separation or loss um, or just a lack of a relationship. And so there are all kinds of things going on in our hearts and lives today. And Father, I, I pray that you would meet each of us right where we are. I'm so thankful that we can know you, our Heavenly Father, who is good um, and who desires to give us good things. And, and so, Father, I pray that each and every one of us would absolutely be convinced of that truth, that in spite of the fact that, you know, there are times that maybe earthly fathers let us down, God, you are always there. Um, you never leave us or forsake us. Um, and so I'm so thankful for that. I do pray, God, that as we spend a few minutes in your word today, that you would through the work of your Holy Spirit, who lives inside us, um, would teach us and guide us, help us to understand how you want us to live so that we can be the people that you've called us to and experience the life that you've promised to give to us. Um, So Father, just continue to meet with us in um, just as we gather here today. And it's in the name of our Savior Jesus that we pray. Amen. I want you to think about something as we, we get started with the message this morning. Do you know your purpose in life? Or do you feel like you're living out your purpose? Sometimes people can have a fuzzy idea of maybe what their purpose is, but aren't really sure exactly how to live that out. 
Interesting thing, if you did a quick Google search, you would find article after article after article that describes the importance of having purpose in life. So people that have a a clear sense of purpose, uh, generally they are happier and more fulfilled, which kind of makes sense, right? If you have a purpose and you feel like you're living it out, that you would be more fulfilled in your life. But there's so much more than that. Time Magazine referenced an article that talked about how uh, people who have purpose are less prone to disease and other health issues. Uh, article that was published in the um, Psychiatric Journal of the American Medical Association talked about purpose and the benefits for the aging, uh, that generally they're healthier. And this is what's really interesting to me is that typically their grip strength is better and their mobility is better. They have less inflammation. So like all these kinds of things um, are, are so beneficial to having purpose in life. So what I understand from all of this is purpose is really, really important. And so I want you to think about this. If we believe that we are created by God and the God that we serve, the God who created us is a God of purpose, then by nature that would mean that we are created on purpose with a purpose. And so then understanding the purpose that God has created us for may be one of the most important pursuits in life. Got to understand what we were created to do. What's our purpose? Maybe it starts somewhere around the eighth grade. I think that's when it happened for me. I was called out of a classroom to meet with our guidance counselors. We began to pick out classes for high school and prepare for that. And, and so I can remember she asked me, hey, have you ever thought about what you want to do when you get older? I, at that moment, I wasn't thinking about purpose. I mean, maybe some kids were. I was thinking more like, what sounds fun to do or what can I make money doing? Um, so you kind of have that conversation. That's where it starts. But then as you go through life, at some point you transition from, hey, is this fun or how can I make money? But you begin to like think about purpose as it relates to your career. Maybe late 20s, early 30s for the overachievers, you begin to think that way. Certainly when you get to halftime in life, that's the life stage that I am in now, you really begin to think, like, what am I really here to do? been working for the last 20 years. Like, is this it or is there something more? Is there a greater purpose for me? What is my purpose? For those of you that would say that you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to know that your purpose grows out of your relationship with Jesus. Over the last couple of weeks in our series, The Road Less Traveled, we've been talking about Uh, how to live differently and and how Jesus has called us to live differently as his followers. Like we're not supposed to be like everybody else. He's called us to take that narrow road, that road less traveled, where we live differently. And part of what happens as we travel down that road is that we begin to understand our purpose because life on that road less traveled is a life on mission. You might wonder, what is that or what does that mean? I want to refer back to something that every once in a while we talk about in our services, and hopefully you have heard this before, seen this before. It's called the table pathway. It's how we as a church describe the stages of growth as a follower of Jesus. First stage is the explore stage. 
And then in that explore stage, really what you're doing is exploring faith. Maybe you're not exactly sure what you believe, trying to figure out what you believe. Maybe you've taken that first step across that line of faith and trusted Jesus as your Savior, but beyond that, you're not really sure about all of the things, and so you're just beginning the process of following Jesus. So that's the explore stage. The second stage is growth where you're growing in your understanding of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And we never actually stop growing in our faith. We need to be growing throughout the course of our lives. But yet at the same time, at some point in our understanding of what it means to be a follower of Christ, we make a transition from it being all about us and what we get out of it. And we begin to recognize that there is something not only that God wants to do for us, but what God wants to do through us. And so the third stage we refer to as build. Build the kingdom. And in our language that we use in the church, like this is it. This is our purpose. It is to build the kingdom. It's to take the gifts and abilities that God has given to us, and we use those to point other people back to Jesus. That's part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. We talked about it last week in our definition. For those of you who are here, remember our three-part understanding of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. It's one who has faith in Jesus, whose life is shaped by Jesus, but then it's also one who helps others to follow Jesus too. So this is our purpose, to use what God has given to us to point others back to Jesus. And so today what I want to do is talk a little bit about how to do just that. If you've got a Bible, you can turn with me this morning. We're looking at Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 16. Luke 10, 1 through 16, as we continue our study through Luke's gospel. If you don't have a Bible in front of you, it will be on the screen as I read it in just a second. Or if you are a version Bible app user, I feel like this is my standard commercial every week, um, feel free to follow along on that version Bible app. There's a lot of helpful information in there, um, questions for greater reflection or small group discussion, digital bulletin, uh, place uh, to submit prayer requests, all kinds of stuff in there. So make sure you take um, full advantage of that resource that we have. But this is a passage. In this passage, which I'll read in just a second, Jesus sends out his disciples on a mission. Most of the time when we think about disciples, probably most of us think about the 12 disciples, the 12 closest followers to Jesus. But throughout the Gospels, those life stories of Jesus that we have in the New Testament, many people outside of just the 12 are referred to as disciples. And in this case, Jesus sends out 72 disciples in pairs to different towns that he was going to. He's going to travel there, and he gives them some really interesting instructions, and we're going to look at those, but it's in understanding what Jesus was asking them to do, what he told them to do, I think it informs us a little bit on what it means to live out the mission that Jesus has called us to. So let me read this section, Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 16. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go. He told them, The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. Now go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Don't carry a money bag, a traveling bag, or sandals. Don't greet anyone along the road. Whatever house you enter, first say peace to this household, and if a person of peace is there, your peace will rest on him, but if not, it will return to you. 
Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they offer for the workers worthy of his wages. Don't move from house to house. When you enter any town and they welcome you, eat the things set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. When you enter any town and they don't welcome you, go out into the streets and say, we're wiping off even the dust of your town that clings to our feet as a witness against you. Know this for certain, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, on that day, it will be more tolerable for Sodom than for that town. This isn't actually the first time that Jesus had sent out disciples on a mission like this. He had previously sent out the 12. Here, the group is larger. He sends out 72 in pairs to, the, to go to these towns that Jesus was going to soon visit. And the first thing that he says to them is, the laborers are few, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he sends more workers, but I am sending you. As you hear those words, and as we read those words, I want you to read yourself into that. The mission that God has given to us is to build the kingdom. And so therefore, I want us to hear the words of Jesus say, The harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few, therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the field, but I am sending you. Because that's the mission that Jesus has given to us, to go into the world and help people to understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Now, when I say that, though, I know that there are a lot of people who kind of get the idea like, oh, wait a minute, like, I don't know if I can do that. I'm not smart enough. I don't know enough to be able to do that. Or I'm not good enough to be able to do that. Or who am I that anybody would listen to me? I can't do that. I am inadequate for the task. Part of what I want you to see in what Jesus is saying here is, that you're right. You are inadequate for the task. Because the truth is, what Jesus has called us to is bigger than what you can do. It's bigger than what I can do. That's why Jesus said, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send more workers, but you're going. And so really what you're doing is praying that other people would join you in the process. It is too big for you. We are inadequate for the task. I love the story of Gideon in the Old Testament. Gideon was a judge, and so we find his story in the book of Judges. Book of Judges is a time period in the history of the nation of Israel when they did not have a centralized leader. And so what God would do is he would raise up judges from time to time to call the people back to God, or to, uh, God would raise up a judge to deliver the people of Israel from their enemies. And so Gideon was one of those judges. He was a reluctant leader, though. God showed up and told Gideon that he was going to deliver the people of Israel from the en their enemy, the Midianites. And Gideon was like, I don't, really I don't know if I can do that. I'm not really sure that I should do that. Who am I? You know, smallest family, all these kinds of things. And he said, I, okay, God, like, I just need a sign. If you want me to do this, I just want you to show me for sure that this is, in fact, what you want me to do. And so Gideon said, God, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put a fleece outside, and tomorrow morning, if the fleece is wet but the ground around it is dry, then I'll know for sure that you've called me to do this thing. 
And so God did what Gideon asked. And Gideon was like, oh, I'm still not really sure about all this. I need another sign. Let's reverse it this time. This time, let's let the fleece be dry, but the ground around it wet with dew. And I could just see God in this request of Gideon just kind of gritting his teeth, shaking his head like, come on, seriously? But God did it. And so Gideon knew that this was in fact what God was calling him to do. And so he gathered the army of Israel together to prepare for battle. 30,000 troops. A good number of troops. With that amount of troops, they could go into battle and be relatively sure of their success. And so God showed up to Gideon again and said, Gideon, hey, here's the deal, man. I think we got too many guys. See, because here's what's going to happen. You're going to go out and battle, and you're going to win, and you're going to think, man, like, we did really good today. And God said, I don't want you to think that way. So let's thin the herd out a little bit. So God instructed Gideon to tell the army of Israel, if anyone was afraid, they can go home. 20,000 soldiers left, leaving 10,000. Still a good number. 10,000 soldiers going into battle. Hey, it's less than 30,000. I still feel pretty good about this. And God said, Gideon's still too many. To make a longer story slightly shorter, he led the, the army of Israel down to a river to get a drink, and those that put their head down into the water, they were sent home. Those that kept their head up, those were the ones that stayed. And all Gideon had left was 300 soldiers. Not nearly enough for the task. 300 soldiers battling the army of Midian. You are sure to lose. But do you know what happened? The Israelites had victory, not one soldier even lifting a sword. And the reason? Because God was fighting for them. See, what we are called to do is something that we are inadequate for. I will never forget what author, and who was actually my professor, Bill Lawrence, once said. He said, we are called to do what we cannot do with what we do not have for the rest of our lives. We are called to do what we cannot do with what we do not have for the rest of our lives. What are we called to do? We're called to see people's lives transformed. Do you know what we cannot do? We cannot do that. We do not have the ability to transform people's lives. That is something that only Jesus can do. But what is impossible for us as we place our trust in Jesus is possible. Now, as I say that, we have to trust Jesus. It's really easy to maybe sort of say that. You're not really exactly sure what that looks like. It's not super concrete of an idea. So let me give you some ideas of what it means to trust Jesus. First, I think it means that daily we acknowledge our inadequacy. Like that every day we say, God, I know I cannot be who you've called me to be. I cannot do what you've called me to do apart from you. I have to have you at work in me and through me to be the person that you desire me to be. At the same time, it's also recognizing that uh, we, we, on a regular basis, to be able to see the opportunities that God has given to us, we need him to open our eyes to those things. That in the midst of the, the stress and the worries and the, the things that can weigh us down, we're willing to give those things over to God and let him carry the burden for us. Trusting Jesus also means 
reading God's word on a regular basis so that we understand more about his character and more about what he desires for us and what he wants to do through us. At the same time, trusting Jesus is also leaning into who he has uniquely created you to be. Sometimes in church, we do this. I I think we, I don't do it on purpose, certainly, but we create the idea when we recognize the mission that God has given to us and we see the importance of it, we feel like we have to be everything for everyone and we don't. You don't have to do everything, but you have to do something. And all you have to do is be who uniquely God has created you to be. Use the gifts that God has uniquely given to you to make a difference in the lives of people and leave everything else up to him. Because you can't do everything. Yet at the same time, as we seek to live out this mission, we understand it is difficult. Jesus said here in this passage, I am sending you out like lambs into the wolves. So there are people who want to devour us. The enemy certainly wants to devour us and get us off track. And so we have to be really careful. Like We recognize the, the significance of what we've been called to do. It is bigger than what we can do. We are inadequate for the task, but yet at the same time, we have to remain focused because there is a sense of urgency. It's interesting, the instructions that Jesus gave. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but I'm sending you. Don't carry a bag, a money bag, a traveling bag, or sandals. Don't take anything else with you, because as Jesus is sending out the 72, what they needed to understand was that they needed to trust Jesus too. And then he says this, don't greet anyone along the road. Like This seems like a, a, a strange instruction of Jesus, right? Let me rephrase it so you get the, the, the meaning behind it. Hey, I'm going to send you out and you're going to a town. When you are walking down the road, keep your eyes down. Don't look to the side. If somebody passes you on the other side, you don't dare look at them because I've given you a job to do. In some sense, Jesus is saying, be rude. Now, as a task-driven person, I read that and I'm like, man, that's great. You're saying, I don't have to be nice to the people around me. I just get to where I'm going and I can do it. But what Jesus is helping the disciples to understand, what he's helping us to understand, is that there is a sense of urgency to the mission that Jesus has called us to. We cannot get distracted from the task that he's called us to do. We are called to point people back to Jesus. It is a life and death encounter We are plan A, there is no plan B. This is what we have been called to do, and we can't get distracted from it. We can't lose sight of the fact that this is, in fact, our purpose. But there are so many things that can distract us from it. Our own selfishness and sinfulness can distract us from what God has called us to do. Some of the things we talked about last week, the cares of the world, the the pursuit of wealth, all these kinds of things can distract us. We can't get distracted from the task that we've been called to do. This is our purpose. Now, as we seek to live out this purpose, I want to give you a a couple of things um, as we finish the message today. And number one is this, make it personal. As we seek to live out this purpose 
that God has given to us, make it personal. Again, it's interesting that the instructions that Jesus gave to his disciples, he said, when you enter a house, first say, peace is this house. When a person of peace is, is there, your peace will rest on them. But if not, it will return to you. And he says, remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they offer. For the worker is worthy of his wages. Don't move from house to house. When you get to a house and they welcome you in, you stay there. Eat with them. Don't go from house to house. Now, there's very specific reasons that Jesus gave those instructions to his disciples. Because at the same time as Jesus was sending his disciples out, there were others who would travel around from town to town, like salesmen, snake oil salesmen, who would only stay in a place long enough for people to recognize that what they were selling was just a fraud. And so Jesus is saying, hey, don't be like everyone else. There's going to be a natural skepticism, so don't be like that. If you find somebody welcomes you in, a person of peace welcomes you in, you stay there. You eat with them. You let them see who you are. You let them see their, your character. Make it personal. I don't know about you guys. I made the decision several years ago that for those people, that those solicitors that knock on your door at dinner time, I will never buy or sign up for anything that they are selling. And I've actually shared that with a couple of these salesmen. I don't know if, you, if it happens to you. It happens to us a lot. Like the pest control guys or the solar panel guys, like whoever it is. And, and, and at times it's like they've said this, like, man, this is the greatest deal. And I've said, look, here's the deal. I don't know who you are. I don't know the credibility of your company. And so just because you are here, I don't care how great of a deal you say it is, I will not sign up for it. There is a lot of skepticism about Christianity and the church right now. Many different reasons. We don't have time to go into those reasons today. Some of them, I think, are rightly so. And this is why in these moments, it's so important for us as we seek to live out the purpose that God has given to us, we make it personal. Like we let people in. We let people see how we live and they see our character so that maybe they say, hey, there's something different about you. What is it? And then we have the opportunity to share with them the truth about Jesus. And that's why living differently, like we've talked about in this series, is so important. Yes, living differently is a better life that God gives to us, and so it is for us, but there's also something more than just that, but God wants to do something through us. And if our faith is not making a difference in our lives, why would anyone else want what we have? So we've got to be different. Make it personal. The last thing I kind of observe in this text is Jesus sends out the 72 as we seek to live out this mission and live out this purpose that God has given to us, let's seek to bring goodness into the world. Seek to bring goodness into the world. Jesus' instructions to the, the, the 72 in verse 9, he says, Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near. Heal the sick and tell them that the kingdom of God has come near. What I see the disciples were doing as instructed by Jesus, they were bringing goodness into the world. They weren't bringing an impersonal message, but through personal methods, they were bringing goodness 
into the world. They were seeking to make a, a practical difference in the lives of people. And so I think about all that's happening in the world around us, how people view the church. I think it's so important that we think, how can I bring goodness into the world that I live in on a daily basis? Just some of the things that we do as a church. Why is it that over the last year we have done food pantries every month? Because we want to bring goodness into the world. On Mother's Day, why did we gather uh, stuff and have a baby shower down at the Mint Unit, mothers and infants together? Why did we do that? Because we want to bring a little goodness into the world. Why today on Father's Day are we collecting socks and underwear for homeless men? Because we just want to bring a little goodness into the world. Why is it that we have Serve Sundays, which we're, going to have the, we're planning to have the first one in over a year in August where we cancel our services on Sunday and just go out to serve, no strings attached, because we just want to bring a little goodness into the world. It's part of what we've been called to do. While recognizing at the same time, it's not just Jesus didn't just say, heal the sick, and he didn't just say, tell them the kingdom of God has come near. He said, heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God has come near. And so we recognize as we are seeking to bring goodness into the world, at the exact same time, we have to share the message of Jesus because that's the greatest good that we could ever do, is help people understand all that God has accomplished for us in Christ. It's only because of the sacrifice of Jesus who willingly laid down his life for us and rose again from the dead. That's the only reason that our sins could be forgiven and we can enter into a life-changing relationship with God that lasts forever. When we could do nothing, Jesus did everything. And that's the message that changes people's lives for eternity. And that's our purpose. The purpose is to point people back to Jesus and help them to understand what it means to be a follower of him. Now, you're going to feel inadequate for that task because we are. And so there are going to be times where you think, I can't do this. And it's in those moments that we go back and we trust in Jesus and we say to him, I can't do this alone. And then he makes what is impossible for us possible. There are going to be times where we're going to be distracted from this because there are just so many cares of the world that are out there and we have to remain focused on what he's called us to do. And so as we seek to live out that mission, listen, let's do this. Make it personal. Let people see the difference that God has made in your life and then bring goodness into the world. We see that all over scripture. Jesus said, let your good deeds be shown before men so that they would come to glorify your father in heaven. He said, don't overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. Bring goodness into the world and share the message of Jesus. So as we finish this morning, I want to give you a very specific challenge this week. I want you to think about how you can bring goodness into your little corner of the world. I've had some conversations over the last few weeks with people who are in retail, and I think, man, I don't think I could do your job with people complaining and demanding their rights and all of the things. And so if that's the world that you live in, let me challenge you. How can you bring a little bit of goodness into that world? I know we've got lots of teachers and you're off for the summer, but as you're a teacher investing in the lives of kids, how can you bring goodness into that world? 
For those of you that are just in business and I mean all kinds of business practices sometimes and things that happen, listen, how can you bring a little bit of goodness into your world so that your light shines before men, that they would see your good deeds and they would come to glorify your Father in heaven as well. And that's the purpose. As we say, it's build the kingdom. Taking the gifts and abilities that God has given to us and investing them in other people so that they come to faith in Jesus and they understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus too. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we finish this morning, I do pray that you would guide us throughout this week and all that we do. Help us to understand how to bring a little bit of goodness into this world that we would be living differently and so that people would see the differences in us and ask about the hope that we have and we can give a reason as we talk about your love for us and what you've done. Father, I pray that you would guide us in all that we do so that you would do something through us that we cannot do on our own. And so we recognize today our need for you to be at work in us to be at work through us, to be at work around us. But thanks for the privilege of being able to join your mission as you have sent us out. And may we never lose sight of the purpose that you've given to us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.